Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we discuss how middle powers shaped global issues in 2023. Middle power diplomacy edged closer toward center stage for world geopolitics in 2023. On global issues like the war raging in Gaza, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, a global economy still recovering from the pandemic, and the rise of global south, middle powers carefully hedged. Between great powers that need their support and expanded their influence on the global stage, after examining the positions of national governments on critical issues, their willingness to engage others in difficult conditions, and the degree of leadership they show in regional and global affairs, we selected Indonesia, India, Saudi Arabia, and Brazil as examples of these middle powers that have played proactive roles in 2023. Did these middle powers pacify or intensify tensions in 2023? What does the rise of middle power diplomacy mean for global geopolitics? For these questions and more, I'm joined by Zhao Daojiong, Professor of International Political Economy at the School of International Studies at Peking University. Rick Dunham, co-director, global business journalism program, Tsinghua University, and Zhang Baohui, professor of government and international affairs at Lingnan University in Hong Kong. Thank you all, and a big welcome to the show for this very important topic. Now, let's begin by discussing what is really a middle power. Well, this debate on middle power could be traced back to centuries,、uh, centuries ago, in multiple academic works by professors, scholars, and experts.、Um, And、let me start by asking Professor Jia.、Um, in your opinion, what factors should we take into consideration when defining a middle power? I mean, is it about the country's population, economy, foreign policy, or else? I would think it's、uh, a country or a government decision to、uh, mm. number one initiate agenda for both. What's called the bigger powers and smaller powers, so the initiation、uh, of diplomacy, and secondly, it's the、uh, effort to, let's say, socialize.、Uh, now I understand that there's maybe some dispute about that word, but、uh, from the perspective of those that are active in putting forward a middle power position, they would see themselves as being socializing the big and small, bigger and smaller powers.、Mm-hmm. And then a third is. That it would actually work to、uh, invest in the to the extent it can to uh, uh, sustain that initiative,、mm. initiate that initiative. Now,、uh, having said all that, the、uh, essence of that is not all positive or negative, or say who is box checking. I would think middle class traditionally have played a role. In、mm. terms of、uh, identifying issues that are often ignored, especially by the big powers.、Mm. Well, that's a very important take,、uh, Rick. What's your take on this? Well,、um, I I would be a little bit more academic here. For one、mm. thing,、uh, middle middle powers、uh, try to、uh, tie the great powers and and、uh, smaller nations, but they don't. Desire to become the great powers,、uh, they they relish their their role,、mm-hmm. uh, trying to、uh, help the the help the、uh, the the lesser powers、mm-hmm. and have communication with the with the with the greater powers.、Um, another thing is, I, I believe that they try to bring a voice to the lesser powers and.、Uh, And and, uh, and and try to、uh, help them in development, either development of their、uh, their forms of government or especially their economies,、uh, without trying to impose their views of、uh, what the lesser powers or the greater powers、um, should be doing.、Mm-hmm. 
Well, Professor Zhang,、uh, what's your take on this, and how would you respond to Professor Jia's、um, take that you know、uh, middle powers sometimes、uh, have more ability to identify issues that matter,、um, especially issues that、uh, are often ignored by great powers. Well,、um, I have two comments.、Uh, mm-hmm. The first one is, I think the definition is very fuzzy. Okay, if you look at the dictionary,、uh, wherever you look for the definitions,、uh, the answer is they are neither big powers, or major powers, nor smaller powers. But that's tautological; it、mm-hmm. doesn't explain anything. And、um, and also,、uh, how do we de-、uh, select a likely candidate to qualify as middle powers? Everyone's criteria is different,、mm-hmm. you know. And as a result of that, we may come up with very different lists, you know. Uh, for example, you know,、uh, today uh, you rank,、uh, you choose、uh, India to be one of the middle powers, but I, I have a disagreement with that. You、mm-hmm. know, India is、um, at the very least a major power. Okay,、mm-hmm. uh, it could become,、um, I think it will become a great power, but it's very at the very least it is a major power. So it's it's a very fuzzy thing, you know. And、um, so my own inclination is that rather than using middle power to define those countries. We should use a more traditional term, and that is regional powers.、Mm. Now, I think regional powers are more like real so-called middle powers. You know, they have some influence within their region. They can shape the,、uh, the, uh, the the agenda. They can even affect the outcomes.、Uh, on the global level,、um, I would say that、um, middle powers' roles cannot be overstated. You know the the world politics, especially today, is run by the great great powers.、Uh, in the post Cold War era,、uh, in the U.S. unipolar era,、mm-hmm. actually, I think middle powers had some rooms to maneuver. Okay, because on low politics issues, they often can affect agendas like global warming,、um, things like that. But we have returned to the age of great powers strategic competition. In that context, middle powers they have very limited. Abilities to affect the outcomes. In fact, they are all constrained, shaped by the great power strategic competition. You know,、mm. increasingly they feel powerless,、mm. and that is the biggest development I think among the middle powers. You know, they now feel powerless. Okay, so I think、uh, we we should analyze middle powers.、Um, they may still have some roles to play, but I don't think、uh, they are really that significant.、Uh, In, 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 unfortunately, okay,、uh, in today's world politics.、Mm. Well, Professor Jia, how do you, how would you um dif-、uh, differentiate, you know, between the two concepts of、uh, middle power and regional power?、Mm. Well,、uh, in some ways, this is a matter of、uh, linguistics. Or、uh, earlier, Professor Zhang said it's ontology.、Mm. But uh, uh, I would think we we need to. Bear in mind the buyers, the, whether it's regional, it's global, it's middle, it's great, all these adjectives, all benchmark against buyers or preference on the part of the so-called West or the North. Right. So the so-called middle, in that case, usually would refer to country size or weapons, especially、uh, strategic weapons,、mm-hmm. weapons, nuclear weapons. So.、Um, But、uh, one of the things again, that's one. And secondly, there is a issue about reference of time.、Uh, mm. If you look at during the,、uh, the second half of the Cold War, in the middle of that, when the United States was hijacking, I'm sorry, was was not hijacking. The United States and Britain were increasing the tension, huge strategic tension. By deploying missile, intercontinental missiles, or launch this negotiation with the, the Soviet Union,、mm. you had middle power diplomacy、uh, that was saying, "Look, we have to be looking at some of the more human needs rather than just thinking about finishing each other through deploy globalization of nuclear weapons and intercontinental missiles." So, in that sense,、uh, when certain governments Invest in workshops, or they put forward agendas, the UN meetings,、mm. and project their contribution to world peace and development as a middle power. That impact actually goes global rather than regional.、Mm. So it depends on the issues, the time, and also the reference point. Mm. 
Well, uh, Professor Zhao, also uh, to you, Professor Zhang just said,、uh, although middle powers、um, have the ability to influence on certain issues, actually、uh, such influence was limited. But there are also, you know, people saying that、um, in recent years, especially in 2023, we have been seeing the rise of middle powers. I mean, how do you respond to these two sides、uh, of the same issue here? Well, I would think again.、Um That I'm trying to be、uh, as academically impartial as I can.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I would think the I- idea that two- 2023 marks the rise of middle power probably reflects again a sense of、uh, surprise, if not shock, and along with that, a sense of disappointment that、mm. certain agendas,、uh, the so-called global north, may- namely NATO countries. Mm-hmm. Wanted to push forward, did not really receive a a、uh, warm welcome. And、mm-hmm. I mean, the, there was the re- response was a lukewarm at best.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, and then out of that, again from the so-called global north, there was look for oh, what other things are these countries doing? Yeah, they are not listening to us. They are not condemning、uh, Russia. They are not、uh, joining. You know, with the sanctions or supplying weapons, as we do, we meaning in this case NATO、mm. member states. So it's, it's a matter of benchmark. It's a matter of contrasting. So you have that sense of disappointment.、Mm. Rick,、uh, how w- do you agree that uh, we have um, we have been seeing、uh, some sort of rise of the middle powers in 2023? And do you agree with Professor Jia that、uh, you know part of the discourse was actually、uh, reflecting you know a kind of disappointment of the global north? First, I, I agree that we've seen a rise of the middle powers uh, in uh, 20, in 2023.、Uh, and、uh, I mean, to, to me. Uh, Indonesia is a is a perfect example of of one. It always has been a middle power,、mm. and you know from the Bandung Dong Conference in the 1950s on, Indonesia has tried to、uh, to shape the dialogue to and to and to be a voice for the lesser powers,、uh, but to keep connection with the greater powers, no matter what they are. I mean, the Soviet Union was a great power. Russia is not a great power,、uh, but. But Indonesia tried to stay in the middle, and now it's the same way as you have、uh, the United States and China and the EU、uh, as uh, as as、uh, different uh, poles of, uh, of of great power.、Um, and, but in, in 2023, 2023.、Mm-hmm. you've seen、uh, a rise in others like、uh, Saudi Arabia,、mm. which is not a traditional、uh, middle power, but、uh, it's. Its diplomacy、uh, with China、uh, to try to、uh, have have a、uh, a reopening with Iran really does help shape、uh, the way the world is looking ahead、uh, as we begin 2024, because、uh, the the a detente between、uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran, if Iran could could be a middle power. Uh, would really reshape things for the what we would call the global south and the global north. I, I, I do think that、uh, that that there's an implicit criticism of the global north in a lot of the middle power、uh, dis- discussion because、mm-hmm. they are trying to I mean, to 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 to、uh, bring benefits to the global south to tie the lesser powers and the and the and the greater powers.、Uh, in, what Indonesia has done is in the previous government, Indonesia was pushing its The liberal democracy. The newer government is still working as a middle power, but trying to push economic development and trying to push the global north to help more with the economic development of the global south or the lesser powers in the in the world.、Mm. Well, Professor Zhang,、uh, I don't want to oversimplify things, but、uh, in general,、uh, do middle powers tend to pacify or intensify conflicts? In your observation. Yeah, that, that, that's a good question.、Mm. Um, uh, interestingly, I think、uh, the original concept of、uh, middle power、uh, suggests that these are so-called、uh, status quo countries that tend to support the so-called Western liberal international order.
And so in that sense, they, they mostly include actually northern countries. You know, uh, uh, what, 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 by that I mean advanced countries like right. Australia, mm. South Korea, you know, Canada. So first, we need to clarify an uh, issue that is middle powers include both uh, the global north and the global south. Indeed. You know? so they are not just southern powers. Okay. Uh, but so that original kind of conception is kind of a value laden. Okay. Uh, as if, you know, those Western uh, leaning countries are good countries. Now, they are middle powers and they are good countries. And middle powers signify good countries. I think that is uh, uh, just a myth. You know, I think uh, middle powers, of course, apply to uh, different kinds of countries, uh, including non-Western countries. Mm. And we've also seen that uh, they play different roles. You know, sometimes they play constructive roles, for example, uh, on global governance issues. Some middle powers can bring our attention to issues like uh, climate change, global health issues, but they also have their own geopolitical interests. And so within their, their own regional context, sometimes they can destabilize regions. For example, Saudi Arabia's uh, long involvement in the civil wars of Yemen, mm. right? That, that's a notorious uh, 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 war, you know, and uh, um, so Saudi's role has been widely criticized, mm-hmm. even by the U.S., uh, then uh, Australia, which claims to be a good citizen of the world, uh, actually defies um, uh, NPTE treaty you know, by seeking nuclear-powered submarines. Indeed. They take advantage of a loophole in the NPTE treaty uh, to you know, actually to, become, you know, to change the status quo, you know, to up, upend the regional balance of power. And that has triggered... Uh, regional arms race and also enhanced uh, regional security dilemma. You know, for example, Indonesia and other um, ASEAN countries are not happy with Australia's decision to go nuclear. Mm-hmm. And so, re- middle powers, you know, they they can they can do all kinds of things. You know, good mm. good and bad. Well, I guess it's a case-by-case uh, situation. Exactly. Mm, indeed. Let's take a look at, you know, the specific countries uh, that I mentioned here. Uh, first, um, all of you have mentioned uh, uh, Indonesia. Indeed, um, it's Indonesia's participation in global affairs, um, I mean, from the very beginning has been very noticeable. To me, in 2023, the most uh, um, f- um, the most memorable thing about Indonesia is when Joko Widodo went to Washington, D.C., met uh, Biden and just uh, read uh, to in front of him in English, uh, t- urging Biden to stop, uh, you know, the fighting in Gaza. Uh, let me a- ask all of you, uh, Professor Jia, what, what's what to you? What is your most, uh, you know, mem- memorable thing about Indonesia in 2023? I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think. Mm-hmm. Indonesia's most memorable thing, maybe that reflects my bias, mm-hmm. as someone who focuses more on the side of development, is to uh, uh, showcase it's one of its achievements. In the, the, that's the high-speed rail between uh, Jakarta and Bandung. Mm-hmm. Now, this project, Indonesia, you know, they actually c- came up with the Wuxi vocabulary, which I, I can't do all the Indonesian parts. It's <laughs> not just some straight mm. English. It actually has a meaning. Because mm. uh, worldwide, you have a push to de-risk or to decouple from China, and that push by uh, some of the G7 countries really imposes quite a bit of pressure on large economies, Indonesia, Nigeria, South Africa, whatnot. But in Indonesia, well, if you call it the power and access power, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, look, we're not going to decouple, and we're proud of our choice, and uh, that actually sends a message. Um, you know, being in diplomacy, it's not just about having rhetoric or expressing a position mm-hmm. on an issue that's not. At the end of the day, diplomacy is about bread and butter issues. Indeed. And that bread and butter issues have domestic connections and also it may have foreign policy implications. Mm. Well, I think that's very important um, a perspective about, you know, the role that Indonesia plays in global development. Uh, what about Rick? Well, uh, I would say, I, I would uh, have a different moment rather than the moment in, in Washington. Mm. I, I, I would say uh, that in 2023, 
the key for President Widodo and uh, an Indonesian uh, role in, in the world was um, his attempt to strengthen Indonesia's cooperation with countries outside the liberal world order, uh, particularly China, to try to obtain more economic benefits, both for his country, economic development, which is a key domestic priority, and globally, the global south, the developing world, uh, to, try to, to, try, to try to change, to, to pivot uh, Indonesia's role as a, as a middle power. So if there was a moment, to me, it would be uh, him coming, his state visit uh, to, to Beijing. Oh. Uh, that, uh, that, 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 that signaled something as well. But to me, one of the things that's significant is he speaks truth to power. He'll, mm. he'll speak truth to power in China. He'll speak truth to power in the United States. That's, that's, that's one, of the, uh, one, one of the ways that Indonesia uh, remains influential, that it, it has uh, an honest relationship and it has uh, through different, different governments with different priorities uh, in Jakarta. Mm. Well, let's hear from um, Professor Zhang, please. Well, I, I think uh, we we, uh, we we should be we should be cautious about uh, Indonesia's uh, so-called middle power diplomacy, mm -hmm. uh, because if we ask this question uh, within ASEAN countries, uh, which are the ones that exercise uh, uh, some kind of regional influence, even mm -hmm. some limited global influence, people would say Singapore. Okay. Ah. Not mm. Indonesia, okay? It's a city-state, but it punches above its weight. You know, it's actually a significant diplomatic power. And uh, so in that context, you know, uh, um, is uh, uh, Indonesia uh, even a middle power, you know? Um, so it's a, it, we need to view those things more analytically, and we may then... Uh, see the limit of uh, uh, Indonesia's uh, mm. what is that? Okay. What, what is what's yeah. the limit of Indonesia? I mean, we have like two minutes before we go to a break, but Professor yeah. Zhang, what's the limit for Indonesia? Well, I mm. think uh, it, 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 uh, first it's about uh, maybe a country's diplomatic skills. You know, Singapore is small, but it is it is a, a very diplomatic competent. You know, so it can mm. set agenda actually to some degree. You know. Um, Indonesia doesn't quite have that kind of diplomatic skills. And secondly, it is uh, constrained, I think, by the ASEAN system. ASEAN system says we're all together. You know, we should make policies by consensus. So but Singapore, Singapore is a member of ASEAN yeah, as well. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. But that, to some degree, limits, I think, the uh, ability of uh, uh, Indonesia, maybe, the, of course, the biggest country of the group, to actually stand out, you know. Uh, of course, uh, uh, people say, you know, uh, Singapore is constrained too, but Singapore somehow can balance those two roles. You know, it's a member of the ASEAN, but it's also a significant regional diplomatic power. So it can actually uh, uh, exercise greater influence uh, uh, in the whole region. That means beyond Southeast Asia even. Uh, but Indonesia is constrained to some degree by its uh, ASEAN membership. You know, it, it doesn't really punch out uh, as an independent diplomatic power. Mm. Well, that's an interesting take uh, because, um, yes, indeed, there are criticism about uh, ASEAN being a rather a loose organization and the concept of uh, ASEAN centrality doesn't really help uh, with the with the effectiveness of uh, decision making of the bloc. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. Um, well, uh, we're going to a short break, uh, but today we're talking about how middle powers shaped global issues in 2023. And we have with us Zhao Daoziong, Professor of International Political Economy at the School of International Studies at Peking University, Rick Dunham at Tsinghua University, and Zhang Baohui at Lingnan University in Hong Kong. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion and take a look at countries like Saudi Arabia, India, and Brazil, um, how they shaped uh, global issues in 2023. Stay with us. Dan Wang 
chief economist of Hang Seng Bank China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the program, we discuss how middle powers shaped global issues in 2023. We have with us Zhao Daozhong, professor of international political economy at the School of International Studies at Peking University; Rick Donham, co-director, global business journalism program, Tsinghua University; also Zhang Baohui, professor of government and international affairs at Lingnan University in Hong Kong. Continue with our discussion. Before we move on to India, Professor Jia, I want you. I wanted um have your take on what Professor Zhang said about being a member of ASEAN actually limits the ability of、uh, Indonesia to exercise middle power influence. I would say、uh, mm. yes and no.、Mm. In some ways, ASEAN as a group、uh, takes positions based on consensus. Which literally means any one member can veto、uh, agreement. The other ten, uh, uh, the other nine,、uh, agree.、Mm. So yes, that's、uh, the membership in ASEAN places a limit in that way. But no, in the sense that ASEAN, you know, the diplomats and scholars of Southeast Asia, as they、uh, constantly emphasize, is different from EU. It's not in.、Uh, Let's say an intra-governmental organization,、mm. uh, inter-governmental. In other words, the notion of non-interference in domestic affairs, you know, respect for sovereignty. These are not just simple words. So, what、mm. I really mean is that Indonesia does have the space to choose to agree with、uh, or not agree with、uh, some of the issues. With, Uh, and take that、mm-hmm. ASEAN position, but at the same time, taking an ASEAN position on a particular particular issue does not prevent Indonesia from having its own edge. As earlier Rick mentioned, Indonesia successfully or skillfully、uh, mm-hmm. gets along with actually、uh, not just in 2023, 2023 the build-up from 2022, if you recall. In 2022, when Indonesia hosted the 20, indeed,、um, President Kovi、uh, actually traveled to Ukraine, to Russia, to、mm. Japan, to China. So, in, in other words, that the, many of those things may not be the rest so much the rest of ASEAN, but Indonesia does have the leeway to act、mm. more heavily、uh, on its own.、Mm. Well, let's move on.、Um, India is、uh, a country that we cannot neglect、um, when we talk about this topic in 2023.、Um, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi visited the United States、uh, in 2023, and、uh, India hosted the G20 summit this,、uh, in 2023. The country made、um, quite a big effort to court Elon Musk and other investors, and also tried to push for semiconductor industry growth in the country. Also, another thing that made、um, interestingly global headlines about India in 2023 was that India became the world's biggest population.、Um, now, Rick, regarding India,、um, what were you watching in 2023?、Uh, I was watching. There are two things.、Mm. One was uh, that uh, Prime Minister Modi、uh, consciously tried to、uh, move India to the. Center of、uh, the global discussion.、Mm-hmm. I think they. I mean, it, you could see the steps forward in its aspiration to being a great power rather than a middle power. Symbolically, becoming the largest population in the world was part of it. But all the things that he hosted, the G20, other other events. So that was that that was that was one. The other is his centrality in so many of the difficult international issues、uh, of 2023. Um, that with、uh, Ukraine and the war bogging on through、uh, this, this second year,、uh, he is、uh, very close to、uh, to, to Russia,、uh, but he is also very close to the United States.、Uh, he has、uh, 
not very good relations with China. And China is very close to his uh, his arch enemy, Pakistan. Uh, but mm -hmm. to me, what's very interesting is that it is not the traditional uh, bipolar world. India is sort of a uh, wild card actor. So to me, I, I, I was looking and also uh, after the uh, terrorist attacks in Israel, uh, that led to uh, the, uh, the 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 terrible situation that's going on in Gaza right now. Mm. He was uh, strongly uh, pro-Israel, uh, very different than almost all of uh, of the developing world, and uh, and so I just think he was a very interesting and in a lot of ways unpredictable character. And so India India became central to a lot of the discussions, but not in a predictable way of, of, of sort of superpower rivalry. Mm. Professor Zhang, what were you watching and is India being unpredictable? Prof mm. Uh, mm. I, I don't think so. I think uh, India, uh, uh, India's behavior is uh, uh, in some ways um, predictable. Um, for example, um, actually, I, I I, I asked myself that question, you know, why, why didn't India condemn Israel? Uh, because, um, uh, as, as others have said, uh, it's not consistent with India's uh, traditional position. Uh, then I realized, you know, India is now playing the great power balancing game. It, need, it needs Israel's advanced weapon technologies. Mm. You know, India is already importing a lot of uh, weapons technologies from Israel. For the Navy, for the Air Force, Israel is important for India's rise as a military power. It's important for India's balancing against China. So Modi's decision is not surprising. Mm -hmm. You know, he's acting in accordance with the logic of international politics. You know, he chose the side that will empower his country. Uh, that being aside, I, I would say the thing uh, in 2023 that. Uh, deserved mm. most attention was, of course, India surpassed China as the biggest country in terms of population. That actually is very important in many ways. You know, it's just not about population. You know, uh, it uh, it brings attention to India's rise. You know, it, uh, India is a factor that nobody can wish away. You know, mm. because um, I know some people in China they neither like. Uh, they neither think India is as good as China in terms of uh, its development potentials, its governance quality, uh, nor do they welcome India's rise, you know, uh, because they, they understand you know, the two countries are in severe security competition. A more powerful India could become a threat to China. But people cannot wish that away, you know. I mm -hmm. mean, India is rising. You know, it is not a middle power. You know, it is uh, at least at now... At this moment, a major power is on the way to be a great power. Uh, it would be a very powerful country. You know, it's a GDP measured by PPP, purchasing power parity, is now number three. You know, more than double the size of, the, of Japan. Uh, and it is the fastest growing major economy. You know, they are growing at seven to eight percent per year. You know, and there's mm -hmm. no sign it's going to slow down. You know, and uh, it has the international conditions favorable. Uh, for example, the West is supporting India, and uh, India, you know, this country uh, will become a formidable power, you know, and uh, many people uh, need to recognize that reality, you know, and um, and mm. find a way to uh, to deal with it. Mm. Professor Zhao, what were you watching uh, about India and um about what Professor Zhang mentioned about, you know, the the kind of competition between China and India, what is really a sensible way? Where should China put India in terms of foreign policy? Well, India has traditionally uh, been the Cinderella. Uh, in other words, uh, it skillfully plays its diplomatic cards mm. with all powers, big or small around the world, to make sure that it can uh, be attractive to all sides. So there's a lot to um, uh, and to appreciate that, and the Modi's mm. government continued on with that tradition. Uh, what surprised me in 2023 is the uh, mm. open my uh, I mean uh, the choice the choice on the part 
of the Modi government to be so openly confrontational with China. This is very uncharacteristic of Indian diplomacy. Mm. Right? So to what extent it reflects, uh, let's say, Indian assessment of long-term uh, prospect with future or China's role, its development, its growth, technology, and whatnot. Mm. That's harder to say. But this is a very unusual. Earlier, Rick mentioned uh, you know, that China has uh, a relationship with Pakistan. Yes, China has a relationship with Pakistan, and the Belt and Road Initiative, you have a special arrangement, so-called the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. But there is nothing new to that. And India was uh, critical of the Belt and Road Initiative. But to be, for India to be so openly say, uh, uh, say no to China, if we, we, you talk about um, the, uh, in many ways the, un, the unwelcome of Chinese high-level presence at the G20. Probably, you know, there was very mm. little real effort on the part of Indian diplomats to engage their Chinese counterparts, beginning with issuing visas, the difficulty of face-to-face meetings. Indeed. Leading up to the need. Twenty uh, summit preparation, and then India open has, yeah, it's certainly within its right, and it's uh, it can successfully do that, organize these global South meetings. But India invited some 150 uh, global South right. representatives, but not China. Mm-hmm. So this is very uh, some a lot of there's lots learned here. What exactly is India trying to uh, project to the rest of the world? But what's China's strategy uh, should be? Well, I I would think the a better, a smarter Chinese strategy mm. was actually to do the opposite, rather than mm. playing along with Indian initiatives. China should uh, uh, instead of projecting itself as a sort of center of world diplomacy, mm. is to be open and is to be uh, uh, invite India to whatever for diplomatic forum. China is the chair, chairs are host, and frankly mm. speaking, I also thought, right. um, uh, regardless of what Indian uh, sentiment were, ch- the a appropriate uh, Chinese mm. representation in Chinese that in its own tradition would have gone a long way to deal with those negative sentiments in India about China. Mm. Well, when it comes to India, a question that I always wanted to ask uh, our panelists um, is um, this. The U.S. often cites India uh, as the world's most populous Western-style democracy when trying to engage with India. Um, I mean, uh, noticeably, there being U.S. strategies of pulling India, you know, into the Western campaign of uh, China containment or if you don't agree, um, I mean, the, the, the sort of uh, Western campaign uh, and one of the most uh, um, noticeable examples was the establishment of the quadrilateral security dialogue. Uh, Rick, in your opinion, what is really driving U.S. strategy over India? Is it the like-mindedness of political systems or other factors? Um, I'll say other factors, but... Before that, I, 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 I want to uh, quibble with your wording there about the U.S. pulling India into China containment okay. campaign. Right. Mm. I don't think India is being pulled. I think India is making conscious decisions. Mm. Um, you know, yes, there is a containment campaign. I mean, there's a strategy, the Indo-Pacific strategy of the last two uh, U.S. Gover- government I mean, administrations. But I think India is making the choice to become part of this. Um, What's driving the strategy, I do not think, is the like-mindedness of the political systems. In fact, uh, India has become more illiberal uh, in its democracy. It is the largest democracy in the world, meaning elected, uh, but uh, I don't think that it's the similarity of the systems. Uh, I think it is much more uh, geopolitical factors uh, and economic factors. Uh, geo- geopolitical as a balance to uh, to China and also India's ties to Russia make it uh, mm. a mediator uh, in some of the issues in uh, in Europe and and the other is economic that it this that it helps American businesses to have uh, another major place where they can get lower cost uh, products uh, so so the supply chain 
Uh, and so I think that that's much more what it is, geopolitical uh, and, and, and economic than, than it is the like-mindedness of political systems. Mm. Professor Zhang, what's your take? Uh, I agree with uh, with Rick uh, that, that that the primary driver of uh, the bilateral relationship between New Delhi and Washington is geopolitics. Mm. You know, that, that 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 because the rise of China is a problem for both of them, you know, and therefore they are natural allies. They have strategic synergy because of that. Um, so they pull toward each other. Okay, but at the same time, I think. Um, uh, from economic perspective, I think uh, um, mm. the U.S. value India as a new economic partner primarily because of geopolitics, you know, because the U.S. wants to decouple with China uh, for all kinds of reasons. You know, one of them is to, of course, to uh, secure um, its own uh, so-called supply chain uh, independence. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, so it won't be bullied by bullied by China. Uh, because of all dependence on China, so they intentionally want to diversify the the supply chains, you know, uh, to Mexico, to India, you know. So India being economically important to the U.S. is because of the geopolitical reasons, you know. Uh, world politics is primarily driven by geopolitics, okay? mm. and um, that's the principal uh, driver of the ever closer relationship between uh, Washington and India. But we have to say. Uh, India is not uh, uh, joining sides. You know, I don't think uh, India has chosen to be with the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, India has uh, multiple identities. Uh, Indian scholars uh, and some others have uh, um, a uh, description of that. They say it's a multi-alignment. Mm-hmm. India chose to align align with different forces. Uh, actually, also including China. You know, the BRICS. China, and India, are both members of the BRICS. Indeed. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both work for the reform of the global architecture. Uh, they have the same positions on uh, climate change issues, um, and so they, they 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 also share something with China. You know, mm-hmm. um, so that's India. It's a very complex country. Uh, it's uh, becoming very important, but it is not uh, choosing to mm-hmm. abandon its past identity in order to be part of the West. That is not happening. Yeah, mm. and so some many in China should also relax to some degree, you know. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they they need to worry about the bilateral shift of power. You know, India is rising, you know, uh, militarily, economically, uh, in all dimensions. You know, and China needs to be wary of uh, rising India. Mm. Multi alignment, uh, and uh, yeah. as Professor Zhang said, China and India do have a lot of common interests um, within the BRICS group, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and of course the United exactly. Nations system. Um, India is important, but I do want to make time for Saudi Arabia and also Brazil. So Saudi Arabia agreed uh, in 2023 to a China brokered detente with Iran. In March 2023, um, it hosted a summit on the Russia-Ukraine conflict um, in August. It also helped uh, to bring uh, Syria back to the Arab League. Um, Professor Jia, do you do you see strategic changes in Saudi Arabia's foreign policy in 2023? And if yes, what has prompted prompted such change? I think uh, well, there's a lot to be said. It's very fitting. Uh, I- just to continue on with what just uh, listed, mm. that Saudi Arabia seems to have made a fundamental judgment about this offer of security guarantee from Washington, D.C. I don't think the Saudis, at least the, its uh, foreign policy elites, have paid much attention, uh, I mean, have much more of an illusion. Mm. They may treat that offer as even mm. less than lip service. So Saudi Arabia, in other words, is really taking issues into its own hands. And uh, mind you, this is not just a detente or sponsoring uh, other Arab members into groupings. Uh, Saudi Arabia is taking the lead in uh, truly diversifying its own economy. It's uh, trying to be less reliant on fossil fuel, and Saudi Arabia also invests in the uh, not just the oil in other economic sectors here in China and many other economies. I think there will be a lot more to come from Saudi Arabia. Mm. 
Rick, uh, some say that uh, the, these changes um, or profound changes are taking place in the Middle East in recent years, and part of the reason is U.S. shifting more of its attention toward uh, China. How do how do you comment on that, and how do you see Saudi positioning itself in these uh, in in the region? Well, first,、uh, the U.S. has been shifting its attention、uh, more toward China, starting with the pivot to Asia during the Obama administration. I, I, I think it's it's less a pure、uh, containment of China than it was to to get the United States out of it, its forever wars in the、uh, in the Middle East and and Afghanistan. I mean, the the the, the、uh, being bogged down in Iraq. I think the United States wanted to be out of out of that,、uh, which had I mean, no positives really for the United States.、Uh, and I think Saudi Arabia has moved in. I, I think before before the, the Hamas set off the conflagration we're seeing now,、uh, I think was, this was a great year for Saudi Arabia uh, with、mm-hmm. uh, with with twenty twenty three seeing、uh, the the, pro- the progress with.、Uh, With Iran,、uh, with Syria, even even、uh, diplomatically with Turkey,、um, that's and and moving toward normalization of relations with Israel.、Mm-hmm. I mean, what Hamas did was it 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 blew that up.、Um, that Saudi Arabia could have been、uh, a power that had influence on all sides. I mean, if you could talk to Israel and Iran, if 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 you could talk to Turkey and Syria. Uh, and, and be trusted by the United States and China.、Um, that's really important. I mean, that, that's a middle man, a middle power.、Uh, maybe not our, our academic definition, but but a broker.、Uh, and I, I think at, at the end of 2023, it's uncertain what what the role of Saudi Arabia is because、uh, Hamas、uh, just destroyed any possibility of a détente between、uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia.、Mm. Professor Zhang,、um, I think we need to be honest. I mean,、uh, there、uh, perhaps have been, you know, shifting of U.S. attentions from the Middle East toward Asia, but the influence of the United States still is still very, it's still enormous. Let's put it that way in the region.、Um, I mean, in reality, I wonder just how much the competition between U.S. and China matter for countries like Saudi Arabia. Well, I think、uh, Saudi Arabia is、uh, a very unique uh, uh, country in that uh, it, 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 it has the strategic trust of the United States and is also materialistically important to the U.S. because of its oil,、mm. and so it can actually、uh, enjoy the benefit of simultaneously developing good relations with China.、Mm. Yeah, it is in that sense indispensable because it is. A country indispensable to the U.S., so Saudis can actually abuse it. That means it、mm-hmm. can actually simultaneously work with the Chinese, you know, to the displeasure of the U.S. You know, but Washington can can do very little. You know,、um, so Saudi is a very,、uh, in a way, is a very special country. You know, different from other countries in the region.、Uh, the other, the only other country that has that option is Israel. Now, Israel can do can do this too, you know. It can cultivate good relations with China now without necessarily harming its relations with Washington. Now, because it is important to Washington for all kinds of reasons, Saudis have that luxury too, you know. So Saudis can,、uh, in parallel to its alliance with the U.S., cultivate very good relations with China, and that won't harm it, you know. And、uh, Washington has. At least has to gradually accept that, you know.、Mm. So I think uh, it's uh, it's uh, that's just the, the reality, you know. And also it offers China an opportunity to increase the role in the region through Saudi Arabia. You know,、mm. for example,、uh, they are working together diplomatically uh, to uh, have some impact on the regional uh, uh, relations. So I, I think、uh, it's a win-win outcome for 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 Saudis and, and the Chinese.、Yeah. Mm. Well, we have about two, three to four minutes,、uh, but I still want to ask a question about Brazil,、uh, Professor Jia. You are an expert on development, so one thing that,、um, of course,、uh, Lula da Silva,、um, Brazilian president, visit China in 2023. But one of the very important initiative that、uh, he took part in was、um, calling for de-dollarization. 
especially um uh, you know in the Latin America region. So, Professor Zhao, how do you see Brazil's roles these days in the global south? Well, Brazil has been quite consistent mm. uh, in terms of projecting its version of development, and we can go along because of, uh, we don't have time. But the de-dollarization may not happen right away. But mm. the idea of other major economies, major, major trading partners, the making use of the local currency, their own currency, that's going to be uh, uh, receiving more support. But the greatest uh, event that I see in terms of Brazil exercising its middle power is that uh, the, you know, President Lula, I believe, turned down a German chancellor's request to uh, send Brazilian weapons and loan them to Germany so that Germany could put that into the war in Ukraine, the mm. Brazilian explanation was quite clear. It, no matter what it why, is, why weapon, do you think that's mm, why do you think that's the most significant thing? Be, 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 because mm. you know Brazil could have, let's say, uh, acted quote unquote nicely and entertained the request, but the uh, weapons would be used to kill humans, whether Ukrainians or Russians, right? So you mm. really have a very clear stand. Stance taken, saying we are not going to be part of a war anywhere. It's more than just uh, rhetorical fighting or you know sympathy expressions of uh, sympathy or anger of uh, anything. And what's mm. better than stopping the fight uh, and not contributing to the continuation of an ongoing fight? Mm. I think that's really powerful. Mm. Well, uh, as I said earlier, Brazilian president uh, visited China in 2023, where he mapped out directions of uh, bilateral relations with Chinese President Xi Jinping. He also continued called for uh, de-dollarization of the global economy. And uh, as a member of the BRICS bloc, uh, Brazil saw the bloc welcoming new members. And as Professor Jia said, regarding the armed conflicts in the world, Brazil advocated for peace deals. Um, it's it's indeed a unique, uh, a lot of unique positions that Brazil has taken uh, over global issues in 2023. I wish we had more time, but that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. Again, I want to thank our guests, Zhao Daozhong with Peking University, Rick Dunham with Tsinghua University, and Zhang Baohui with Lingnan University in Hong Kong. If you want to catch up with more offer discussions, you can find our podcast by searching World Today. You can also follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.